that while the words diversity, equity, and inclusion are being co-opted and being now misinterpreted, there's always been an underlying ethos. And I believe everyone can still rally around, or dare I say, I pray we can all still rally around. And that is humanity, mm. respect, dignity. I dare you to attack respect, dignity, and humanity. So if I don't call it diversity, equity, and inclusion, if I call it dignity, humanity, and respect, can we rally around that? Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the All Inclusive Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Randall Pinkett, distinguished entrepreneur, speaker, award-winning author, chairman, and CEO at BCT Partners we explore the dynamic blend of engineering and DEI at BCT Partners. We dive into Randall's five-step process from his recent book, Data-Driven DEI, and he reveals the key to engaging mid-management in DEI initiatives. Plus, we'll discuss critical metrics for measuring the impact of any DEI efforts. As always, before jumping into the video, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on your notification bell, and follow on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. That being said, let's jump in. Hi, Randall. Hello, Natasha. (laughs) I'm so excited for this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Natasha, for the invitation. I'm excited for the conversation. Oh, great. So um, let's kick things off. Tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, Randall, and your journey to where you are today in DEI leadership. So, I met three black men when I was in college, Jeffrey, Lawrence, and Dallas. And we caught the entrepreneurship uh, bug, started our first business when we were in college, and it was doing diversity, equity, and inclusion training before we called it diversity, equity, and inclusion. We were at first speaking to other young people of color, and then somehow, Corporations asked us to work with them on how they could better recruit and retain people of color. And it just took off from there. So believe this, 31 years later, the four of us are still together. Oh my goodness. That's right. That's right. And 31 years later, we still get along. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. There's a number of, oh my goodnesses. So I'm literally like, that's that's incredible that you have done that in 30 years you don't look old enough one that's why i'm like <laughs> what 30 years um secondly wow that's that's phenomenal and thirdly from a relationship perspective and just just that all-round wholesomeness to be able to work with individuals for that long and to still yeah. get on and to do the work that you do as well. It's just, that's that's incredible. It very much reminds me of, of my husband and you know Chris as well. And that yeah. Chris and Shane's um, dynamic and relationship, it's probably mm-hmm. very much similar to that because they're both very the same smart. and they both do incredible work as well. So I think there must be something in the air with, with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, there is something there. Uh, and the other interesting component of the story is we went to school, all of us, to study engineering. Which begs the question, how do four engineers do diversity, equity, and inclusion? Well, at some point along the journey, we asked ourselves, well, why aren't we leveraging 
our expertise in technology and data and innovation. And the company evolved to where we are today, BCT Partners. We differentiate ourselves not only as doing diversity, equity, and inclusion, all things for 30 years, but also we leverage virtual reality. We leverage machine learning. We leverage artificial intelligence. We leverage information technology. We leverage natural language processing to glean these very sophisticated, powerful insights, quantitative and qualitative research that can give our clients the ability to make data-driven decisions. So we've we serendipitously landed on DI. We we very intentionally pursued engineering. And now, 31 years later, we've married them together into a very unique blend of DEI, technology, and data. Oh, fantastic. And I love, I mean, I love talking about data and, and especially in the context of DEI as well, because it's. It, I think it's so important. Um, and for those who aren't watching, um, Randall is sitting behind his fantastic book titled Data Driven DEI. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's pointing at it now. It's it's fun. it's a really great book. Um, so I would love to for you to share a little bit more with us because within your book you um share kind of five steps. Like it's a five step process for organisations that are creating or trying to create these equitable and inclusive workspaces. So um, do you mind just talking through us a little bit more about what that's that five step process looks like and and how you even came up with it? Happy to. And it begins with a step zero before you get into the five-step cycle, as you know. And that step zero, is, and, it, and it also plays off of alliteration of the letter I. Every step begins with the letter I. So step one is DEI incentives. That's step zero. Clarifying, why does this matter to you? Why does this matter to your organization? Call it self-reflection, call it introspection, but you have to have clarity on the answer to the why question before you begin to get into the cycle. Once we're in the cycle, step one is DEI inventory, which is perform an assessment. To know where you're going, you have to know where you are. And the book breaks out two tracks, one for people, one for organizations. For people, it's assessing your preferences, the things you naturally are inclined to do, so you know your blind spots, and your competences, the things you're naturally able to do, so you know where you can strengthen your muscle around DEI. For organizations, it's the four Ps, people, policy, practices, and benchmarking performance. Those are the four Ps, that's step one. Step two, DEI imperatives. What are your priorities? What do you want to accomplish? Said differently, what are your objectives and your goals? Step two is perhaps my favorite step, which is DEI insights. Before you proceed to decide what you're going to do, pause for the cause and ask the question, what's worked for somebody else? What's worked for some other organization? Don't reinvent the wheel. Look to promising and proven practices. Step three is now deciding what you're going to actually do, which is DEI initiatives. DEI initiative says, what are the strategies I'm going to pursue? For a person, it could be watching a video. It could be travel. It could be reading a book. It could be listening to Natasha's podcast. Or for an organization, it could be employee resource groups. It could be training across the entire organization. The list goes on and on and on. Then we get to a DEI impact, which is essentially 
now looking at what has been the results of the work that we've done, what has been the progress that we've made, what groups has it worked for, what groups has it not worked for, where can we improve? And then the cycle continues over and over again. And so it is an endless, never ending cycle because as you and I know, DI is a journey, not a destination. A hundred percent. I I couldn't agree more. And um, I love that you you differentiate within those steps. You talk about for an organization, this is this is how it, it it relays, and this is how you would follow this step. And as an individual, this is how you follow this step. And that's something that I find can be somewhat difficult sometimes when you're you're researching and looking into how to do DEI. Is that there's a lot of material that is focused from a lens of as an organization as a business this is where you need to go this is what you need to do but also I feel like it's so important that we talk about as individuals ourselves um, and because it's not just one this 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 thing that we're we're trying to do is not going to be the responsibility of just one person being able to do it or just one organization and I feel like every business is made up of individuals and those yes. individuals are the ones that are actually going to make the change so if it doesn't really touch us if it doesn't relate to to me then mm-hmm. how on earth can i think to do anything that's going to impact other people and get them on board right so i i love that's that exactly you, right. yeah no i i love that aspect about your book and for me i felt like it was something that i thought i could do actually do some something towards as well like i don't have to be um a c-seat leader in order to implement some of the steps that you've got or some of the the nuances that you've you've talked about in the book um Mm -hmm. could you share an example of of a successful di initiative um or or strategy that you found that's that really works well and incorporates these steps yeah and in some ways my answer melds everything you just said I'll mention first that there, there's a website that accompanies the book, datadrivendei.com. And on the website, you'll find free tools, templates, free metrics, free inventories of promising and proven practices. And to your question, free case studies, case studies of people and organizations that have used data to drive their diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the, the, the case that I'll, I'll reference is a healthcare client of ours at BCT, Virtua Health. And the reason I cite Virtua is to your narrative a moment ago, they recognized as you so eloquently articulated that organizations don't change, people change. So if the organization is going to be stronger on diversity, equity, and inclusion, the people have to be stronger on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what we've seen in our work over 30 years is that where diversity, equity, and inclusion either lives or dies, particularly is in middle management. You often see commitment at the executive level, and then you see the role that managers play so prominently in shaping culture. They're responsible for hiring, firing, mentoring, sponsorship, allyship. If they don't have the tools, it can be a very difficult road. So what Virtua understood was, let's make a significant investment in defining the competences for our middle managers. What behaviors are we seeking? Should they be able to bridge differences, navigate differences, lead inclusively, mitigate their biases? And then let's build a learning journey, not a training, which is a one-time event, but a learning journey 
that can be personalized, which is to your point a moment ago, that they can undertake their own personal journey of discovery and exploration and can build their muscle and find their voice on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's what made the difference. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I want to work with Virgie. <laughs> that's wonderful. Yeah, no, I, 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 I can see all of those steps that you've just explained come into that example that you've just that you've just said and it's fantastic that actually that you're able to to kind of pinpoint that middle management is where like you said it's it's kind of where the buck stops a little bit or or doesn't ever start (laughs) um because when you talk about recruitment and when we're recruiting staff and and the onboarding process, more likely than not, as an organisation, you're going to be recruiting either entry level or middle management, most of in in large scales, right? And mm-hmm. so when that entry level person comes into the organisation, it's their manager that they're that's that's there to guide them through their journey, right? Um, right. And so if that manager like isn't equipped within knowing how to create this inclusive workspace for the heart like rewarding them fairly all of those yes. sorts of things that we talk about that that need to be present um if that doesn't happen with in that middle management level then how could it ever happen below or or anywhere else like yeah that's 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 crazy it, it seems so simple i feel like sometimes <laughs> honestly when i have these conversations with leaders like yourself everything that you guys are saying is it's it all sounds um it's fantastic and it's it's one of those things that i feel like how do we not know this how do, how is this not known do you know what i mean but it really right. does take individuals like yourself to really voice it in a way that can be easily um easy easy digested um mm-hmm. and to continue to keep on saying it one of the final steps in your process is you talk about ei initiatives and the insights right and the impact what are the metrics would you say what are the key things that that need to happen in order for us to understand whether the impact that we're making is is a good one yeah so in in the book i i lay out what i call uh, the mvms the minimum viable metrics (laughs) mvms not the mvp but the mvms yeah (laughs) and i break it i break it down very uh, simple I, I focus on the D, the E, and the I. In fact, I'll take it in the order of the D, the I, and the E. For the D, for the diversity, you, you have to have data that captures representation, and you have to be able to disaggregate that along a number of dimensions of identity, of level, of role and responsibility, gender, race, ethnicity, disability, sexual identity. Like you have to be able to slice and dice representation across all of those identities, but also across all levels, entry level, middle management, executive, et cetera. Not, not, that, not that difficult to understand. For the I, you have to have some quantitative and qualitative measure of how people are experiencing your culture, your climate, your norms, your standards. And that must also be disaggregated by identity, by identifiers. In other words, a survey that asks people, is this an environment where I feel like my voice is heard? And then a focus group that says, with women at the location in the headquarters who showed up in the survey as having the lowest reported scores of feeling like their voices are heard, I want a focus group with these women to ask them in a very safe space, why do you feel like your voice is not heard? Mm. So the survey tells me what, 
but the focus group tells me why. And I need both to contextualize how they're experiencing my culture and climate. And I got up so that gives me a measure of who is and who is not having a edifying experience with my culture. Last is the E, and this is where a lot of folks get tripped up. The E is about equity, which means you must identify where there are inequities. Are there pay inequities? With our customer service, whether I'm a healthcare system and my patients, whether I'm a retailer and my consumers, are there inequities in how people are receiving customer service? Are there inequities in how I'm delivering service? Let's say I'm a government agency. I have black and brown communities calling 911 or 999 and getting slow response times. I've got white communities at a, at a further distance getting faster response times. That is an inequity. So I have to identify where are my inequities and that's very internal and external facing and then centered my, center my strategy on closing those gaps. So the D is about representation, the I is about lived experience and the E is about closing inequity gaps. Those are your MVMs, minimum viable metrics. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much, Randall. And with the, um, when you're talking about the experience, so, so the, the I, um, mm -hmm. how do you, how do you get those, those individuals that have completed that survey who most likely would have done anonymously, right? Mm -hmm. that's right um so you wouldn't know who they are individually but you know you know you know that the 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 kind of demographic the makeup of those individuals the people that you need to to kind of go into these focus groups what would you recommend organizations do or what can they do to encourage those individuals to openly explain their why because i'm going to be honest i don't know how readily people would be to kind of divulge that information and yeah. i'm just just for those that are listeners i think for some leaders they may well be in organizations where they feel that actual employees might not be comfortable to do that so how how could they how can they defeat that overcome that yeah and and there is no perfect response to this question that will guarantee but what i'm about to do is list off a series of strategies that successively increase the likelihood that you will get those voices. First, and you you said this already, Natasha, it has to be an anonymous survey. Um, second, it has to be an independent, neutral third party that administers the survey. Do not have your HR department administer the survey or even your DEI division administer the survey. It must be a neutral, independent third party who can articulate that we will not disclose, we will not disaggregate data at a level that could identify who you are. For example, my organization has two Latina women. I cannot report the responses of Latina women because they'll know who said it. Yeah. I have to <laughs> aggregate that more broadly and just say women. Mm -hmm. I can't say Latina women mm -hmm. when I report out. I then have to be transparent about the results of the survey. One of the worst mistakes you can make is to ask people to give you data and then not share back the results of what you collected. It does not breed trust. It does not engender transparency and it does not foster inclusivity. Then when we move from the survey results that we've shared broadly to the focus groups that we're now inviting a representative sample to join in. I don't know who you are, but I know your demographics. I want women in, this, in the focus group. I need members of the LGBTQIA uh, community in the focus group. I have to find facilitators who can A, 
reflect those identities so there can be a level of comfort and B, can effectively create psychological safe space. And that means laying out the proper ground rules and the proper controls that say it will not be recorded. I will not take your names. I'm not going to disclose what you said, but I will aggregate what's been said so we can glean the insights. All these steps do not guarantee that we'll get everyone to offer their voice, but they certainly maximize the likelihood that they yeah. will their voice. Yeah, oh, definitely. Oh, that, that's great, Randall. I think um, everything you said there is is definitely important. And yeah, I can see how that would help others feel more comfortable about explaining or, or sharing their personal experiences and their why for for selecting some of the answers that they selected um mm-hmm. i've so much enjoyed our conversation <laughs> randall <laughs> it's been fantastic likewise. uh one more thing that i would really like to to kind of get from you is before you do leave us what's one piece of advice that you would offer to dei leaders currently now yeah, my advice to DEI leaders would be read the writing on the wall. And let's keep it real. Right now, from certain angles, DEI is under attack. Uh, I heard a wonderful word to describe it, which I've now embraced. Someone referred to it as reversity. <laughs> so I now have coined that phrase, not, not coined it, I've adopted that phrase of reversity. Uh, and we have to remind ourselves that while the words diversity, equity, and inclusion are being co-opted and being now misinterpreted, there's always been an underlying ethos. And I believe everyone can still rally around, or dare I say, I pray we can all still rally around. And that is humanity, Mm. respect, dignity. I dare you to attack respect, dignity, and humanity. Mm. So if I don't call it diversity, equity, and inclusion, if I call it dignity, humanity, and respect, can we rally around that? Because truth be told, Natasha, if we can't rally around dignity, uh, humanity, and respect, then we've we, we've lost our way. So, so I say to, to my fellow DEI leaders, read the writing on the wall of the attack, but still invite people into this space it can't be an us versus them. It still has to be an all of us, which means we have to center on the things that we all, I believe, still care about. Dignity, humanity, and respect. What do you hope to see in the future? So alongside that aspect, and so if we do follow seat on that, what do you think we'll see? What will be the result? I, I think the, the, the more popular dare I say, kind of media-driven narrative is that we're more divided, we're more divisive, uh, that the gap between the haves and the have-nots is growing. And that's not to ignore that there are growing gaps. Let's be clear, there are. But I think there, we, have, we have a lot more in common than we give ourselves credit. And, and, and so I, I believe that what can happen is the following. If you ask me that question five or six years ago, Natasha, I would have said that our goal, our responsibility is to get out of our comfort zone and engage with people different than us. But I think that is not our highest calling now. Mm. I believe what it will happen is we will then not just get out of our comfort zone and into our growth zone, but we will be bridges between communities that would otherwise be disconnected. That I can bridge liberals and conservatives. 
I can bridge the haves and the have-nots, the wealthy and the poor, the rich and the rest, black and white. Like if I can be a bridge, which means I can't just get out of my zone, I have to get into the zone that I'm not a part of and then bring people together. If we can do that, we can stitch back together the frayed fabric of our society. Mm. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much again, Randall, for all the great insights. Um, For our listeners out there, if they want to connect with you, how best can they do that? So the best thing to do is go to datadrivendei.com. Again, listeners, you will find a plethora of free tools, templates, resources, case studies, best practices, and metrics at your disposal. You can contact me or go to randallpinkett.com, Randall with one L, or follow me on all forms of social media at Randall Pinkett, again, with one L. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, holler at your boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I will be linking down below um, a couple of links to, to some of those socials and also a link to your, your website as well. So for everyone who's listening, they can learn more. Please do check out Randall's book, Data Driven DEI. It is fantastic. Um, if 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 it goes by anything, if you're going to go by anything that I say and I recommend, I'm recommending Randall Pinkett's book because it is phenomenal. Um, and once again, Randall, thank you. thank you so much again for joining me. And I wish you all the best in the future until we speak again. Thank you, Natasha. Thank you for your voice. Thank you for this opportunity. I appreciate it.